years and I've been practicing for, for a short time. And in my, uh, what I've come to understand is I'm not so much in touch with all the many things about Buddha that have separated him from other human beings, but I've always found is thankful that he found the way. Left at that, it seemed to be the other things that were important, and that, that the Dhamma, what he left for, for us to follow his way, was very important, and that the community of people who are, are practicing the Dhamma, you know, keeping us together so that, so that we can achieve enlightenment or make the world a better place, whatever we can do in this lifetime. But why, do you, uh, why did you talk so much, and what is the importance of all the super, supernatural or the different powers of the Buddha. How does that relate to the to the Dhamma and the Sangha? <coughs> These actually are uh, sort of a peripheral to the core of the matter. The core is the purity of uh, state of mind. And that is actually what we want to attain. And uh, when I was talking about the differences between the Buddha and the community of Sangha, uh, most of the time um, uh, people begin to wonder, especially when they read, uh, discuss and uh, think and so forth, these questions arise in their mind. When we talk about the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, um, uh, how can Sangha be different from the Buddha? attainment, how can attainment of enlightenment differ uh, from uh, Buddha's, that of Buddha's attainment and his disciples' attainments and so forth. In order to uh, clarify that uh, type of doubts, I mentioned those uh, things. Attainment of gaining supernatural powers and so forth and so on uh, uh, is not important at all. Right, yes, <laughs> not important at all. Although I mentioned it, <clears throat> in order just to show the difference. This relation of loving kindness to the truth about reality. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it's very uh, closely related because uh, <coughs> living uh, Every living thing, every living being loves life and uh, loving-kindness is an attitude of appreciation of that love for life. Uh, The opposite of hatred is loving-kindness which uh, separate us from one another. 
uh, alienate us from one another. Uh, so, loving oneself uh, loves one's own life uh, is a reality, is, is true. And therefore, uh, respecting that uh, right uh, is also uh, a real thing. <coughs> when we practice loving kindness, uh, it also uh, helps us to. Uh, uh, link the loving kindness with reality uh, because uh, uh, when we do not have uh, uh, hatred we begin to see the truth of impermanence that is uh, if one uh, uh, doesn't have any rejection or particular attachment uh, to something, then uh, one can accept the universality of uh, that particular thing, universal nature of that particular thing. Uh, that acceptance comes from uh, open-heartedness, uh, in other words, loving-kindness. Loving-kindness is also called uh, uh, illimitable because uh, it has no particular identity uh, since it encompasses all living beings and accepts all the true nature of all living beings that is impermanent, unsatisfactoriness and selflessness, uh, loving-kindness uh, can relate to that uh, reality. Therefore, <coughs> as this morning somebody pointed out, I don't remember who, uh, I think it was you who said that when uh, uh, Buddha had, uh, when we were talking about sabbha jnana omniscience, you asked, is it uh, correct to say that um, uh, there is there was no limit uh, to his acceptance of the thing coming to him from various angles, people's problems, difficulties, all kind of things can uh, come to him, <coughs> and he would never be upset or reject would reject anything and um, he remains as he is. That state of mind can, uh, uh, can be achieved only through the uh, acceptance of practice of uh, you know, awareness, mindfulness and loving-kindness. Of course, when we cultivate loving-kindness, mindfulness, <coughs> loving-kindness naturally blends into that practice because in the practice of mindfulness you do not uh, 
accept one and reject another. So it naturally grows or flows into the practice of loving kindness. Therefore, uh, realization of the truth and practicing of loving kindness uh, are not too apart from one another. about uh, the Buddha and the Sangha. <coughs> when you read uh, about very great persons in the history, then you read many times, but still he or she was uh, a child of his time. I'm asking you if you can to some extent that also say about the Buddha, and I think about a special thing. Uh, when the Buddha was asked to uh, institute the order of the nuns, at first he refused to do that. And after asking sometimes and also because of Ananda, he uh, he, uh, he was uh, okay. He said, "Okay, I will do that." But there was one point, and he said, "I will do it, but all the time, all the time." A nun should be res pay respect to a monk. Even when she is 80 years a nun, and when it is only a monk for one day, she shall pay respect to the monk. And now we are living so many times later, and especially in the West, we have the attitude that there is no difference between a man and woman. As you know, you are also living here. So difference as we find it in the East at this time. So, for people in the West, it is some not according to the feelings uh, that a woman, uh, a man, shall always pay respect to a monk. And I'm asking you, uh, is that still an... an, an, an ordination from the Buddha placed in that time under these circumstances and my other question is uh, seeing and that, uh, that the relations are changed eh, especially in the West shall also in the future shall also names always pay respect to men That's a good. That's a good question. <coughs> uh, Buddha had to uh, stipulate certain things in order to uh, abide by the social conditions. Uh, especially in his time, <coughs> the positions of position of women was not very uh, wholesome very good uh, the society always was ready was ready to criticize anybody who tried to promote the status of women so in order to make it uh, uh, clear to people who object to this uh, kind of 
you know, new change. Uh, Buddha had to introduce a lot of uh, rules and regulations. However, having said that, I must say, also Buddha said, had he lived, you know, long enough, uh, he would have changed it. He would have changed that rule, just like he has changed many other rules. Uh, what uh, he did not change was the Dhamma, and he said it very clearly. As long as people... Uh, if people change, if monks and nuns get together and decide to change rules and regulations for certain reasons, uh, that does not harm the Dhamma as much as somebody tries to change the Dhamma. In other words, you cannot change, you, nobody can change the Dhamma, but rules and regulations can change. Probably had he lived up to this day, he would have changed them. He would have changed many of these rules. In his own time, he changed certain rules like uh, uh, wearing uh, footwears. Uh, first, they did not wear any footwear. Then he introduced uh, uh, monks to wear uh, very thin footwear. And when they were walking wearing that, uh, they still got their feet hurt when they walk on rugged, uh, rocky, thorny places. Then uh, when this was uh, reported to the Buddha, he, he asked them to increase the thickness of the footwear. And he changed that rule seven times. And then another rule like uh, taking bath. Original rule was for monks to take uh, bath uh, once uh, in two weeks. So monks went to certain area and uh, people were very health conscious, you know, very, very cleanliness conscious. So they uh, began to pass by monks closing their nose. <laughs> they, they came and reported this to the Buddha and Buddha said, all right, take shower uh, uh, every week. And uh, in some area some people uh, don't like that either. So he changed it again. So depending on the circumstance he changed rules and regulations. And he said uh, rules and regulations are the rules, uh, constitutions for an organization which can be changed. But uh, the, the monks or the Sangha order don't change the rules who make Buddha. Ah. So I know you are in the West and I know also my country in Holland, uh, monks, they have a lot of difficulties to to follow strictly the rules in a, in a cold country. I uh, know, I know but this. But they can't change it. They don't, they dare not do it. Uh, we have encountered so many such difficulties. Uh, there is no any convention of uh, monks or nuns uh, to change certain rules and regulations. Although Buddha permitted at the, in the last uh, sermon, what is called Mahaparnibbana Sutta, when he was about to pass away, 
when the Belananda approached him and said, Sir, now we are going to pass away, uh, what shall we do? He said, Ananda, uh, if monks, the community of Sangha, not monks, community of Sangha, so decides that they should change certain rules and regulations, go ahead, do it. But out of respect for the Buddha, they did not change anything in the first council, the second council, or in the third council. And nobody wanted to point out which was to be changed, which was the minor rule, which was to be changed and so forth. So just uh, let them be as they were. But uh, the provision is there. It is our fault, not his. He has full compassion and understanding of the human natures, the nature of rules and regulations, Dhamma and Vinaya. Dhamma cannot be changed, of course, nobody can, even the Buddha cannot change Dhamma. But Vinaya, rules and regulations, uh, of course maintaining the spirit uh, and without, uh, you know, uh, throwing the baby with the bath water, <laughs> uh, we should be able to do it. Maybe it is one of the reasons is that uh, the, the council is afraid that it uh, will break the unity about yes. this. Uh, and you know, for instance, um, I, in 1989, when we started the meditation center in West Virginia, uh, decided to ordain a woman. And um, there were a lot of objections. But um, 23 months and four nuns came. And um, we ordained her. Please, question. According to the original rules? Our original rules. But strict? It is not possible because there are, you needed five nuns. No, this is novice ordination, not high ordination. Oh. Novice ordination. We can do that, uh, we can yes. give a novice ordination. Okay. But uh, even high ordination is possible if certain conditions are met. But meeting those conditions is the problem now. And uh, that would take a lot of uh, planning, thinking, organizing, you know, discussions and so forth. But wouldn't anyone who objected to that, wouldn't that be an indication that they themselves had not reached enlightenment? I mean, I think it, it would seem to me that the, you know, that reaching enlightenment, that, that it's clear there is no difference. As far as enlightenment is concerned, there is no difference. No difference whatsoever. So? <laughs> yes. Uh, as we mentioned in the... Uh, I mean, a few minutes ago, when we talk about Sangha, male, female, ordained, unordained, whoever attains enlightenment, including Sangha. And people who have uh, biases, prejudices and uh, so forth, um, uh, definitely are not enlightened. Yeah. And uh, however, uh, there has to be certain uh, agreement uh, among the ordained uh, persons uh, 
whether enlightened or unenlightened, with regard to certain uh, changes. Uh, one individual cannot do those changes. For instance, if we want to establish, re-establish the order of nuns, fully ordained nuns, uh, we have to have a conference, uh, meeting, uh, discussions and plan with the existing Sangha. Although they have not attained enlightenment, uh, we have to have that. That is uh, quite, quite in accordance with Vinaya. Mm-hmm. All right. So thank you very much for attending, and uh, we <laughs> are very glad that uh, we had this opportunity to meet all of you.